When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. During 2021, when the Magic Potion came out and they tried to sell it to the first, they tried to scare everybody into taking it. And when that didn't work, then they went, you know, they, 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 they tried the carrot method. Let's see if we can incentivize these people. And it was like, do it so you don't kill grandma. You're like, mm, okay. And then it was like, do it because it's the right thing to do. That didn't really work very well. Then it was, do it and we'll give you lottery tickets. And do, do it and, and we'll give you Krispy Kreme every day for an entire year. Or we'll give you laps around Talladega Speedway. You can do two laps around Talladega. Okay, fine. We'll make it four laps around Talladega Speedway. And you, and you just start watching this and you go, I don't think it's going according to plan. Like there, there's no way this is in the, in the playbook, right? This has got to be plan C, if anything. You know, the, the, so, so I watched that and I watched the wheels fall off and the narratives and they were contradicting themselves. And I thought... This is good. This is it's frustrating, of course, for sure, to watch this and to be living through it. It's frustrating, but but I I was I was optimistic when I said they can't even pull off this this rollout the right way. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. This is episode 191 of In Liberty and Health. Today, I got the amazing, legendary Charlie Robinson with me. What's up, dude? Hey, how are you? I mean, amazing and legendary might be a little <laughs> bit much, but I'll take it. Yeah. Thank well, you. you. Yeah, of course. Well, you're one of the uh, quote unquote conspiracy guys that I look to a lot. It's like you, Tommy Sammons, um, Courtney Turner. Um, or, or the first three that kind of come to mind when it comes to conspiracy stuff. So um, I, I know that's like a real light introduction, but uh, why don't you tell my audience who you are and kind of what you do? Yeah, I've I'm, I've written three books. Um, I've I've in the course of promoting the first book, I did so many podcasts and radio shows to to get the word out because I, I you know I'm my own 
PR company, essentially. I mean, nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows what the book, the first book was the octopus of global control. And so I put it out and I thought, well, if I'm going to sell any of these books, I'm going to have to do it all myself. So I reached out to shows and wound up getting myself on and, and promoting it. And over the course of doing that, which went on for two years, I got to the point where um, I had a, a a friend of mine, uh, or I mean, I had a guy that who, who runs a show called The Confessionals, which is like Bigfoot and ghost stories and cryptids and things like that, uh, who said, you're, you know, you should do a podcast. And I was like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. And, and he kind of stayed on me a little bit about it. And he addressed some of the concerns that I had, which is the technical side of it. I'm, you know, I was like, I don't know how to do all this stuff. You know, I don't know the, the sound engineering and the, and, and the, intro and the, you know, the video edit, all that stuff. So he said, I'll do that. I'll take care of all that. You just do this show. And so I started a podcast called Macroaggressions. I started it in, actually conceptualized it in January of 2020 and started working on episodes in the late part of January and early February before I left to go to Anarcapulco, which is the largest anarchist convention in the world in Acapulco, Mexico. So I I, I didn't know that the show, you know, the, the Macroaggressions podcast was going to launch the same week as COVID. So holy crap, it just kind of wound up happening that way. So I came back and uh, from, from Anarcapulco, got everything ready. And in March of 2020, Macroaggressions started. Now, it, at the time that when that podcast was was happening i was in the process of finishing up a book with jeff berwick who's the founder of anarchapulco he's the dollar vigilante guy crypto vigilante guy the guy that does walk and talks with lucy his little chihuahua and all that you know so we were writing this book and that came out the friday before election day 2020 <laughs> and on and on uh in which jeff celebrated by spending the night in a mexican jail for getting into a fight with the police which i thought was hilarious and completely on brand for him so <laughs> he spent the the launch night in a mexican jail then a couple of days later we had the election in 2020 and the book became a number one bestseller on election day 2020 which we thought was fantastic because the just the 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 irony of this book, which if you read it, it's called the controlled demolition of the American Empire. That you'd never vote again. I mean, there'd just be would you'd you'd never even consider it. And and so that it happened on election day, we just I said, Oh, that's just perfect, Jeff. You know. So so that happened in 2020 in the process while I was actually waiting for Jeff to finish up his his part of the book. I started on a third book called Hypoc Crazy surviving in a world of cultural double standards and that wound up going out about a year later so three books and podcasts and and my background is not writing researching broadcast and none of these i mean I, I work in real estate i've worked in real estate for 25 years but the thing is that because i las vegas real estate specifically and i rode this massive wave up from 2003 to 2007 and in 2007, I was getting ready to go on a, a scuba diving trip for a week. And a buddy of mine said, I got a book for you. I think you'll like it. It's called Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins. And um, here's I'm holding up the Confessions of an Economic Hitman third edition that just came out a couple of weeks ago that mm -hmm. 
that I got. That book, the book changed my life. It, it, it explained like the financial component of how governments and agencies like the World Bank and the IMF will, will loan money to countries, third world countries that really probably can't afford it. And they'll get tricked into it. They'll say, well, you, you need to build this hydroelectric power plant. It's going to generate all this revenue. It's going to pay itself off in 12 years. You'll be fine. You'll make a lot of money. It'll it'll all work out. These countries sign on to this debt and then it doesn't generate the revenue that they said they were going to because it was a, a debt trap. It was It was always set to fail. And they fall behind on their payments. And then the governments and the John Perkins, who was an economic hitman, said that, you know, they go back and they approach the countries and they go, you know, you owe us a lot of money, like any good loan shark, you know, let's work out a deal. Uh, maybe you, you know, maybe use guys, uh, privatize your lumber industry and sell it to our buddies or, you know, you know, <laughs> like right. that sort of thing or vote our way in a UN resolution or, or agree to put a U.S. military base or some shitty deal that the country didn't want, but has no leverage anymore because now they owe a bunch of money to the wrong people. Yeah. So I'm reading this and I'm going, oh my God. This is, it's 2007. The housing market's still booming, but we're giving loans to people that are like, I remember a guy came came in and filled out an application. He, he, he wanted to buy a $405,000 house. He made $10 an hour. He was a landscaper. You know, I felt kind of good for him on the one hand because I was like, well, this guy's like American dream. You know, he's going to own his own house. But I thought this guy's getting a, a, an adjustable rate mortgage, which oh. is going to spike up on him. Yeah. He's never going to be able to afford the payments and he's going to lose this house. And, and so I'm, I'm reading this at the same time I'm recognizing there's a problem in, in our little Las Vegas real estate world where it's like loaning money to people that can't afford it, waiting for them to fall behind in payments and then taking back tangible assets. So that really woke me up. I already knew by 2007 that 9-11 was a scam and, and I had big questions about all the wars. But the financial component really kind of like, I didn't understand it until then. And so that sort of set me down this path. And and and, and always I've always been in, you know, still in real estate and working in that. But but because I worked in real estate, I had a comparable sort of something I could measure it against in my own life where I could say, oh yeah, I know what this economic debt slavery looks like to us. We do that to people. I don't mean we, but I mean, you know, these guys, they wanted the loans, right? So they come in and get the loans. So they get qualified when they shouldn't get qualified and then it goes wrong. And it's like, everyone's like, I can't believe everything went wrong. It's like, how could it not go wrong? You know, the wrong people were in charge of this stuff. So, so that led me through like a decade of just reading, watching videos, reading articles, getting, you know, just getting familiar with this stuff. And then it culminated with me writing the octopus book, which came out in 2017. And that sort of started me down this path where I got the tinfoil hat on every day, it seems. <laughs> so, so that's right. So podcaster and writer, but never intended to do either. Right. Wow. It's kind of happened. Yeah. It's a hell of an origin story. And I actually kind of like it because most of the people I talk to are either health people because of, you know, the theme of the podcast is mostly about health. And right. then obviously uh, libertarian people as well. And most of the time when people kind of talk about their red pill, if you will, um, it's normally through like Ron Paul or maybe some kind of libertarian stuff, but it's really interesting that you kind of came to it through a financial means because, um, 
the the only thing that I can compare this to in my own experience was um Peter Schiff kind of making me aware of the whole China situation, like China versus the US, where you know, we send them debt and they send us stuff and our standard yeah. of living increases and there's kind of, you know, teeter totters. Now they're, you know, there's a whole rabbit hole in China. I talk about it all the time on this podcast and on Twitter, but like that was like the only financial thing that I ever saw that I was like, oh, this is like complete total bullshit everyone says that they're ripping us off but like you know who's really making out here like this microphone this desk probably these computer cases all comes from over there and what they get they just got some worthless fucking paper that's now losing um you know double digit worth of its value per month what a scam huh <laughs> yeah, your shift did, did that too for me too you know i oh, I, really? I i i watched mike maloney that was that was an important thing for me was I realized now going through this Vegas housing boom and bust, mm. I was in it and I could and I couldn't see it. I couldn't mm. understand the big picture, the big game, and I wound up losing two houses and my job. Oh. You know, dur during this whole thing, so I, I decided that like I felt like the sucker at the three card Monty game. You know, they're like, oh, you lose again. You know, and I and and I just decided I wanted to. I, I don't I don't want to play the game anymore, but I I want to understand the scam. I want to understand how it works. So, so I want to learn about money, money creation. What is this? What's the Federal Reserve? What's a Federal Reserve? What's a U.S. dollar? Oh, it's a Federal Reserve note. Okay, well, what does that mean? And so, you get into this banking side of it, which, you know, admittedly for most people, it's really boring, and and it's sort of hidden by the fact that it's pretty boring, right. but it's really devious. And the way they have, and you want to talk about scams, like, oh my God, these, the, the idea of central banking is such a huge scam. You mentioned Ron Paul. Ron Paul is, is a, you know, Ron Paul's still pissed about, about it. I just saw him, it, he was at an <laughs> Arcapulco uh, a couple months ago. We went, I saw him speak. We, we went to dinner uh, that night with, with, a, with a few people, man, it, it, he's, he's still mad about it 30, 40 years later, you know? And, uh, and so it, when you when you start to kind of understand the money side of it, to me, that was the biggest red pill, really, because it's like it, it's a it's a scam that you that is so massive that it is hidden because you just assume there's no way this could be real if this was if this was the way it really worked, everyone would know it by now. Everyone would have figured it out, right? And it's like no, nobody figures out fractional reserve lending you know nobody understands the 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 process of why these central banks are so dangerous and and a lot of times people have said like in this octopus book i wrote eight different tentacles and you get the military as one of them and everyone assumes that the military component is the most dangerous and of course they are dangerous for sure if they they deal with the the the, the very, very end point of the death and destruction. But the bankers are far more devious than the military will ever be. And I am stoked to tell you guys about the show's new sponsor. I am now working with MTS Nutrition, which is a brand that I've believed in for a very long time, and they run awesome cells and they have awesome products. So um, I want to tell you about their amazing protein powder, which you're going to ask me how many pounds I have of the protein powder, and the answer is all of them. So here I got red velvet cake, 25 grams of protein, and they have the amino acids and everything on there, 59 servings. Peanut butter fluff, uh, fluffernutter, 26 grams of protein. And then also the chocolate chip cookie, which literally has 
real piece of chocolate chip cookie in there. So 27 grams of protein, 180. As I've talked about on the show, getting your protein in is very, very important. So make sure you hit that link below and purchase your protein powder through MTS Nutrition. Boom! They have caused more suffering and pain on this planet than I think anybody. That The idea of banking as being sort of boring guys with suits and briefcases marching to work every day at Wall Street, for sure, yeah, there's that. But yeah. but those guys are those guys make decisions that start wars, right. and then the military goes in there and finishes them up. So yeah, I, I had a long education on this because I I realized I had to unlearn just about everything I thought I knew and and go to go back to school. Go back yeah. to school. So I read as much as I could and I watched a ton of videos and I watched Peter Schiff, you know, and Berwick is funny because Berwick, Berwick's like, tell Peter Schiff to enjoy eating his gold while I'm sitting here with Bitcoin, you know? So they've got this thing going <laughs> back and forth where they're always messing with each other. And Berwick likes gold too. He just doesn't tell Peter Schiff that, but, <laughs> but they've got this, uh, this rivalry, friend, friendly rivalry going, I think between one another. But uh, listen, I'm open to learn from whoever's got it, whoever's got the information, I want to know about it because there's so much to know. And, and, and we're, we're really coming from a play, a, like a very poor position of, you know, of weakness when we're trying, we're getting involved in like the stock market and things like this. Yeah. And it's like, we have no idea how rigged that gets. It's like that. It's like going to the carnival and you see the basketball hoop game for the stuffed animals. And you're like, I'm good at basketball. Mm -hmm. I ought to be able to sink this. And it's like, you're making an assumption that the hoop is the same size that you're used to playing with. And it's like, oh, I guess I am. Shoot. Maybe I should, uh, maybe I'm good at basketball, but this is a totally different game. And it's like, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. There's, there's definitely uh, two different classes of people and you could definitely see that, um, what was it with the GameStop deal where they pretty much shut down the stock market? <laughs> and like, how did people not just flip the tables when they saw that? Or even like this whole banking crisis, what was that? Uh, as Not SBF, um, SVB. Like, yeah. how did people not just fucking flip the tables? Like, you're telling me that after 2020 and up till now, when we were locked in our homes, we lost our businesses, um, lives were ruined, and some people were forced to take treatments. And now all of a sudden, you see the biggest, croniest banks just going belly up, and they get bailed out. And people are just like, okay. Like, I, I it, there's just like this sense of like no urgency amongst people where like I, I kind of wish people would do like a January 6th almost and just say like we're fucking done like what the fuck's going on here this this is a completely rigged game Europe <clears throat> Europe looks at us and they're like you guys gonna get mad anytime soon because <laughs> they're out you know the Dutch farmers are 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 pumping piles of shit onto the police, you know, and, <laughs> and, and we're sitting around going, I hope it gets better. January 6th was worse than Pearl Harbor, worse than the civil war. You know, everyone's like, Oh God, you know? So I think Europe is kind of, they're done with America, uh, the country, you know, the imperialistic country, but they, they've got a, a, a plenty of rage built up for us, the people. And, and rightly so too, because you're right. You see these scams happen over and over again. Nobody does anything. GameStop was a prime example. They're like, oh, well, what we're going to do is we're just going to turn off trading for this and then we're going to just roll things back. And you're like, what? You can do that? They're like, well, you can do that if if it threatens Citadel mm -hmm. and Citadel is connected with all these other banks. And, you know, if you take one of them down, it might pull the rest of them down and we can't have that. So, so you start to realize when Janet Yellen comes out and talks about 
making a decision on who to bail out and who not to bail out. And she talks about, well, it's going to depend on, on, on the importance of the banks. And it's like, oh, I get it. So if it's, if it's, if they're too big to fail, be, then they can be as reckless as they want because they're all interconnected. But if it's just a little guy who's doing the best that they can and following the rules and things go wrong, it's like, well, tough shit. You're out. I mean, that literally seems to be like the genesis of like the federal reserve and how it shapes even our perceptions, which is something really, really interesting to think about where um, they really do kind of teach people to be as irresponsible as possible. And the more that you're, you know, prudent and you try to do the right thing, the more you get punished. And this even goes to like a societal and a cultural level where like people who get married and they want to save to have kids. Well, inflation absolutely rapes your savings. And then, you know, you don't get any welfare benefits. You may get a little bit of a tax break, but like, it's a complete total assault on families and people who are trying to start families. And once again, when you try to do the right thing, you just get pummeled into oblivion. But, you know, if you go around and, you know, act irresponsibly, invest irresponsibly or have children irresponsibly, you get bailed out. So, you know, it's like no wonder there's people just going aloof and doing whatever the fuck they want, investing like retards because they know they're going to get bailed out. Yeah, they've they've they've. um positively motivated bad behavior they've 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 made it look like you know as long as you're as long as you're politically connected as long as you know the right people there's there's really no um there's really no punishment for for your your behavior and i and and i watched that in 2008 i think we uh, most of us did that were <clears throat> paying attention at the time when when hank paulson basically said there would be a civil war on the streets if we don't get this 700 billion dollars by monday morning and they gave it to them you know because th these guys are all interconnected so if if we if we said that if we said there will be a civil war they would arrest you yeah. <laughs> they would take you down to Janu to the january 6th police detention place and put you underneath the prison and keep you there for as long as, as they can but uh but if you do it with a you know with a wire transfer from goldman <laughs> sachs then you're fine yeah. Um, so one thing that you kind of touched on earlier is when your podcast launched in March of 2020, um, I'll tell my story very, very briefly. Um, I remember, I want to say it was March 14th. Um, are you, do you know what like Fogo de Chao is? Yes. Okay. So you know how they have the little card on the table that you flip from red to green. I have a yep. picture on my phone of March 14th, 2020 in Pittsburgh of a card of Fogo de Chao. And I remember my wife and I were sitting there eating and then we got our phones vibrating. We both got a text saying that Pittsburgh is now declared a state of emergency. And like, I remember looking around and just thinking, everything seems pr like pretty normal. Like things seem okay. And little did I know that my entire world was going to get turned upside down. And like a week earlier, I posted a status on Facebook saying like, I am not scared of the coronavirus. And every year I go back to that. And I'm like, I was right. <laughs> so um, what was that kind of like for you? And especially launching a podcast because um the subjects that you dive in on, um, you know, I, I can't imagine that anybody would have predicted that our whole life would have changed the way it did. And, you know, if you did, then grats on you. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious what that looked like for you and kind of what you saw coming down the pipes at the time. And like, if you got anything right. Well, here's the thing. Yes and no. I, okay. It wasn't. I, I did a podcast with James Corbett mm. and he got it right. <laughs> on my podcast so i'm going to take credit for it uh but but he he <laughs> said uh he said uh this was 
March 23rd, I think we recorded it. Mm-hmm. 2020, right? So we're, we're like a weekend. Yeah, and and he said uh, they're gonna. He goes, they put they put everyone in in quarantine, right? And 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 what if the, you know? And we were kind of joking, two weeks to flatten the curve. We we knew it wasn't going to be two weeks, and we knew it was going to be abused and all these things. But he said, uh, he goes, what if they keep you for a couple of weeks, and everyone has a good time, everyone is off work, and um, they're eating ding dongs, and they're watching Netflix, and they're hanging out with their family, and it's really fun, you know. And they, it's like a, a forced two week vacation or three weeks, from you know, and then. They then they remove the restrictions and they let you out and they say you're free you're free to go back and you go oh I remember lockdowns it wasn't that bad it was kind of fun it was Netflix and chill it was it was you know box wine and it was it was time with the family and 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 I didn't have to work oh and I got a I got a little bit of money from the government too you know wow what what if you know he his his speculation was they lock you down you have a good time. They let you out. Then in the future, they say, oh, you know what? It's time to lock lock you down again. And he said, and this time they don't ever let you out. You know, and he goes, and you walk, you voluntarily walk in because your memory of it was it was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And he said, This he says, I don't think they're going to put tanks on the corner of every street. He said, It's this isn't going to be military martial law, it'll be medical martial law. And I said, oh, God. And he goes, he goes, and I remember him saying, uh, he says, I I almost don't even want to say it out loud for giving an, you know, giving them an idea for this. But he says, I I, I just assume they've already thought of this and that it's probably already baked into the plan. But he, I remember him saying that and, uh, and thinking medical martial law. Yeah, you're right. That is actually the best way meaning the worst way but the best way for them to control everybody yeah because when you when you put tanks on the street that's just like oh i'm i'm scared i i have to avoid that tank but if it's medical it's sort of like everywhere and then right. every and then the paranoia sits in and, and and everyone starts to fight with each other so but here's the thing i james and i are having this conversation in 2020 but we had the benefit of an understanding james obviously from his 10 years from that point or i think he'd been doing it for at least 10 years at 2007 was when he started doing his uh so yeah even more more than 10 years of experience i had just come off writing a book three years earlier so i had and james had a a very healthy dis we knew about um the pharmaceutical industry we knew about the Vares court. We knew about the problems that that led to that, the uh, treatments that they suggest for for things, and um, and we knew that they were dirty. We knew that the pharmaceutical industry was run by convicted felons. Literally, every one of the top twenty pharmaceutical companies in America are convicted felons. They've all been convicted in courts of law of felonies, including. Money laundering, price fixing, faking trials, fraud, extortion. I think one of them got busted for extortion. I mean, you it's 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 a criminal, it's a crime syndicate. Oh, yeah. The pharmaceutical industry. So so we were already well aware of who these people were and what they were capable of when it started, when the pandemic started. 
Whereas I think a lot of people are now at that point, but it's taken them a couple of years because they didn't know who they, they, they still had the assumption. Oh, this is, this is Pfizer. They're here to make us healthy. They're they're And yeah, they're, they're going to make some money, but they're going to, they're going to make the medicine that makes us feel better and we're going to pay for it. And it's a win-win situation. It's like, no, no, these people are gangsters. And, yeah. and so James and I knew that going, going in, which is the reason why it was easy for us to understand the concept of a medical martial law. So, so that was really like the, the first part about, and, and when it hit, I was in Florida and Florida wasn't, um, wasn't really locking down, wasn't really doing much of that stuff. We were like, we were seeing it on the news mm-hmm. and then we'd go walk down the street to these restaurants for dinner and they'd be wide open. Yeah. And so we'd be like, well, I guess it's not happening here. So it, it didn't feel real. It wasn't until I got back home to um, Colorado a couple of weeks later. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, they're actually doing it here. They're actually like turning you away mm-hmm. from businesses. If the businesses are even open and then you go, well, that's, I want to go to the hardware store. It's funny that the hardware, this hardware store is closed, but Home Depot is wide open. Right. That doesn't make any sense, you know? And, so, and not so, to mention Home Depot was always packed. Packed with people, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because every other hardware store was closed. Where else are they going to go? So, 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 you know, we... I I had the ben I guess benefit is the best word to use, but I had the benefit of knowing who these people were before it kicked off, and that allowed me to almost immediately launch into these people are, are not telling the truth. These are the wrong. People. I'll tell you what I didn't know though. A lot of people did, but I didn't know. I did not know the history of of Anthony Fauci. I was I I got up to speed on it pretty quickly or as quickly as I could about his role in HIV AIDS and AZT. And, and once I understood that, then I was like, Oh yeah, this guy fits the profile for, you know, psychopathic villain. And, but I still had so much to learn about it all, but I, I did, I, I had, I was automatically. So I was, my default was don't trust big pharma, obviously don't trust the government, but also the media drives the getaway car on all these big events, whether it's JFK or 9-11 or COVID. So I knew that the media was going to do what they always do, which is lie and scare people. And they did that really well. And so, so anyway, when the, when the, when the podcast first launched, I had all of of a first book of material that could go into the the show. And the show is, is done two way. I do two episodes a week. One is a monologue where I pick a topic and just kind of go for an hour on that. And then the second is an interview. So I still had plenty of content for all the monologue stuff, even if COVID didn't happen. But then it just started to become like overwhelming where everyone was kind of focused on that. And um, yeah, I got a I got an education in, uh, in, the, in the pharmaceutical industry that I never wanted, but I guess kind of needed. Yeah, I think a lot of people would have been further ahead if they would have been kind of educated on that kind of stuff. Um, now kind of moving on from there, uh, I'm really curious your thoughts on this. Cause I remember when you were on our mutual friend, Buck Johnson's podcast, yeah. um, you had spoken about a certain, uh, I'm going to butcher the details on this, but, um, if I remember correctly, there were different countries across the world that their vaccination rate correlated with the certain amount of people that were supposed to die over the course of a couple months. Um, now my theory on kind of like the spike in overall mortality because you hear a lot of people say this like excess excess deaths are up um 
I feel like there's a lot of people on both sides who get really stupid about this. There's people who say, oh, it's all the treatment. And then there's mm -hmm. people who say, oh, you're just being a conspiracy theorist. Um, yeah. I kind of go the route of, okay, well, if you look at unemployment, there's a website called worldunemployment.org where they track per 1% of unemployment. Um, you can track, I think it's like 32,000 deaths per 1% of unemployment. It's something like that. It's some ridiculously mm -hmm. huge number. So um to go into like the details real quick about the United States at the highest point of COVID, um, unemployment was, I think, at 15% here in the United States. So that tracks to about a little over half a million deaths here in the United States over the course of six years. So that's a little bit in the over or in the excess mortality. Then obviously some people did die of COVID. Um, some people likely died from the treatment. And then all the mistreatments, the suicides, the drug overdoses, and all that stuff, the consequences of lockdowns likely contributed, in my opinion, probably the most to the excess death. Um, do you think I'm wrong in any of that or what's your take on that? No, uh, no listen, I think it, I think you're actually doing something that most people don't do, which mm -hmm. is bringing in a variety of variables into this. I think it's all of those things for sure. You, you, how do you, you know, first of all, we know that there were massive, um, discrepancies in the way they categorize deaths. Yes. From, from from covid and in august of the end of august 2020 was the first newspaper publication that came out and said 169,000 dead americans from covid now if you read that article and it got syndicated out from through the ap and reuters and it went everywhere so it was in every magazine every newspaper you know everyone was pulling this every local you know, so 169,000 that's the first time that the big number came out but if you get to the bottom of that article, the last paragraph, it says of the 169,000, 6% died from COVID and 94% died with COVID and on average 2.6 comorbidities, which could include heart attacks, cancer, car accidents, getting hit by an asteroid, whatever, anything right, could, could, could contribute to that. Mm -hmm. And you go, oh, oh, oh. So you're saying what you're really saying is that 10,000 people died from COVID, 6% of 169,000. That's a less powerful headline than 169,000. And so, so you, 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 you already start to look at this and you go, well, well, what are these other people dying from? Well, th then you start to dig into the numbers and it showed massive, you know, anything was getting counted as COVID. First, first it was if they tested positive for it, then they got to the point where they even fudged that, where they said, listen, all you need to do is just suspect that somebody had it. And, and, and that would have just been a nothing burger, except that they tied a financial incentive to it, where right. they said, well, listen, if you die in this hospital from COVID, the government, the federal government will pay $13,000. And if you hook them to a respirator and they die from COVID, we'll pay you $39,000. So now all of a sudden there's a financial incentive for, for the classification of these deaths. And, you know, and, and, and I can, I can, I can see that, like, I can see a guy at a hospital going, person's dead, right? One way or the other, it, by no fault of their own. What difference is it going to make if we classify them as COVID or not? We, we'll take the money. We need the money for the hospital. We've been shut down. We can't do elective surgeries. I can almost right. see the, the mathematical business calculation being made. I don't appreciate it. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And I don't respect it at all, but I can, I can sort of understand it. But then those numbers are used to scare the shit out of a general public. Mm-hmm. And then we have lockdowns. You know, we, we had lockdowns the whole time. When we have job forced uh, closures of stores and restaurants and schools and all these mm-hmm. things that we live through. And so like, how do you quantify that? Like, how do you measure the damage that does to a person who is just starting to get a, just starting to feel like they're, they're, everything's good and their job goes away and they have no money and now they're, they can't pay their rent. And what does that do to them? And do, are they despondent? Are they drinking more? Are they killing themselves? You know, I mean, we saw that spike too. So I think there's a whole lot of factors that play into this all-cause mortality inflation. But the the part that I talked to Buck about was that there is a there this there's a a, a company called Deagle that is a military industrial complex company. It's like it's sort of like a think tank. They 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 if you're Sweden and you need to know how many military helmets to order for the next 10 years, Deagle can tell you that because they'll say, well, based on where you are and what your level of threat is and what's going on geopolitically in your region, you'll need this number of helmets, right? So so they kind of help them manage the logistics of buying things. And 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 I knew about Deagle from writing my first book because I had uh, I'd come across them and, and I was familiar with this chart, the Deagle chart. Now, the Deagle chart shows population from 2015 and then it shows population at 2025 the year 2025 and when you look at this population in america 340 million population in 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 2025 99 million and you go okay so did we have a war or something it's like no well, did they all go to Mexico or Canada? Like, where's if so? If they've left America, where have they gone? And then you go and look at Mexico's numbers. Mexico's numbers are down by seventy percent. You look at Canada; they're down. You look all over this map, this chart that Deagle has, and it's a seventy percent decline in people, almost everywhere, except for about twenty countries at the very bottom, right? And you look at those countries and they're sort of obscure African countries and things like that. And you go, okay, well, well, I don't know what to make of this chart, but it's in my mind, right? So I know about the Deagle chart. Then we have the COVID situation. Then we roll out the treatment. And I know how dangerous that is from my previous work studying all of the other treatments that they offer, that Big Pharma offers. So I'm watching that. And then I get a... A document from the CD, the CDC, but it's the CDC's international branch, which I didn't even know that they had. But there's a there's an international branch of that, and they show the they show the rates of um, medical treatments uh, to for all these different countries, right? They show. How many took the first dose? How many took the second? How many took the booster, first booster, and how many took the second booster? And you go through there and you and you take a look at all of these numbers. And I started to notice something. 
that the numbers matched up almost identically with the Deagle numbers. And I started to get a little nervous and I thought, well, this could just be kind of a coincidence. And then I looked down at the the bottom of the Deagle chart, which I still have. And, and, and I noticed that the, there were only like 15, 20 countries where the population was increasing. Mm-hmm. And it was like these, these obscure African countries. And then I looked at the chart from the CDC international and it was which countries had the lowest injection rate. And I'm telling you, they were identical. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh God, I've got a really bad feeling about this. I hope this isn't a depopulation mm-hmm. agenda. And and so I recorded an episode of macroaggressions called Where Did All the People Go? And and that came out in August of 2022, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it came out and it just went crazy. People, I mean, I, I, I didn't know that anybody, I, I debated about recording it and I laid out this whole, I, I laid out everything I had. I had stacks of, I had an Alex Jonesian style, of, like amount of papers on my yeah. desk, right? And I was going through and I was like, coordinate, I was just saying like, take a look at the, and I wasn't trying to say anything. And I, and I, and I have to reiterate this like i did in the show several times which was i don't want any of this to be true yeah i don't because for it to be true is for this to be genocide yeah. but i'm just finding some patterns that are really kind of hard to get away from uh-huh. and um and then the spars document had come out too the spars pandemic document which was from 2017 and it 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 simulated an outbreak much like event 201 it simulated the outbreak of a virus that travels the world and the only solution is a medical procedure that you can inject into your arm. And when you, so, and, and that SPARS pandemic document starts following COVID like very closely, but, but the the only difference is that I, I read the 78 page SPARS document and it sort of ends after, you know, like a five year period. And, and when I'm reading it, I'm in year, one and a half of uh, in reality. So I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know if we're going to follow that uh, exactly, but that was lining up too. So I had three pieces of of three different charts or two charts and one fictional story that was seeming to not be quite so fictional. It seemed pretty, (laughs) pretty spot on, uh, like to a point where it makes you uncomfortable. And I'm I'm looking at this going, I don't know, what do you guys think? Like, wh- what if we get to a point where it's it's impossible to deny that people are dying left, right, and center? And then we do. Then we start to get to this point and Ed Dowd starts saying, hey, I got real big problems here. The insurance industry is looking at this. You've got, you've got uh, morticians saying, I'm finding stringy blood clots in all these people. And then you've got uh, other people that w- run life insurance company saying we have a 40% rise in all cause mortality in an insurance industry and a 10% rise would be a one in 200 year event. And we have a 40% rise. So all these things are happening and it's just making me feel really uncomfortable about where we're going. So that was what I talked to Buck about. And, and, and again, like I, I don't want it to be right. I don't want it to be the reason because if it is, you know, you start to wonder like, is there a way to reverse it? Is there a way to, you know, I've got friends and family that are 
in that boat. I don't, I don't want to be right. I've never wanted to be wrong about something so much in my, in my life. And I'm not even actually saying that I'm, I'm right. I'm just, I'm kind of just putting it out there and people flipped out. I had so many people reach out to me and say, thank you for doing this episode. This was something that we had all been thinking. And then I was, people were in Japan wanted me to come on and do shows and to talk about, it. I was like, well, I'll talk to anybody, but like, it's weird that this kind of took off the way it did because it's so dark, so dark, mm-hmm. but but again, like I didn't, I didn't create it. They put the charts out. They put Deagle put the chart. I mean, let's talk to the Deagle guys. What are they, they say uh, when, when pressed, they asked, um, you know, people said, what is, what did you attribute to this drop off in population in 2025? And they said, Oh, two things, a global pandemic and a, a economic collapse. I was like, Oh, oh okay. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. That's so it feels like it feels like it was put on the calendar. Holy shit. Um, now, the one thing that, and you seem to be good at doing this too, where like, even as you laid all that out, you you never said like, this is for sure. It I know this is going to happen. You're saying like, hey, these are a lot of patterns and some of the pieces are starting to kind of fall into place. Um, I appreciate that because I know some conspiracy people will just go balls to the wall and yeah. say, this is fact. Um, there's, I, I really hesitate to die on the hill of shit that I don't have data for. Like when I hear when people start really freaking out about the treatment, there's so many studies out now that say like, Hey, in younger people, I, I think it was, um, I cited this one study where, um, I think I correlated the numbers from here in Pennsylvania to the study and people's chances of having a heart attack from COVID was like one in, I want to say, I'm probably going to get these numbers all wrong, but it was like one in 200,000 or something like that. And then after a certain treatment in the age range of 18 to 29, um, that went from one in 200,000 down to one in 32,000, which is still small, but like, yeah, that's, it's a pretty notable increase. And like, once again, there's data on this. So just when people are so intellectually lethargic and don't just look the stuff out, like you can find almost anything to support what you're trying to say and quality evidence at that. So when people don't just go the next step to say, Hey, this is the data I'm presenting you this, this is what it looks like. It doesn't look good. You know, take that with what you will. And I just appreciate people who are truth seekers and lay out the data honestly, rather than just try to spout off at the mouth. You know, I I just always trust, but verify, you know. What's up, everybody? Um, We're going to take a quick break and tell you about the show's sponsors. Um, We are brought to you by Element T Electrolytes. I've been using this stuff for years, and what I've honestly found is that if I didn't have electrolytes before some kind of cardio, and sometimes even before workouts, that my workout performance, or definitely cardio performance, would suffer greatly. Um, Sodium is responsible for every single movement pretty much in your entire body. and let's say you drink a lot of caffeine, like I like to do, then um, maybe it is a good idea, like I do every single morning, um, put some LMNT chocolate electrolytes um, there in your coffee to get a little bit more sodium, potassium, and uh, magnesium in your coffee so that way whatever diuretic effect you get from the caffeine is pretty much diluted by the fact that you put chocolate salt in it. Um, also, it tastes really, really good. Get some uh, chocolate creamer, hazelnut creamer, even coconut. Now mix that all up. It tastes really, really good. So uh, yeah, make sure you drop by, go to drinklmnt.com slash health and uh, pick you up some electrolytes today. All right, guys. Thanks. I, I totally agree. And I, and I, 
I, I've been wrong. Mm-hmm. I will be wrong in the past, in the future. I, I guarantee. And I, and I, and I've said this in, when promoting the books, because the books are a permanent record. Actually, the podcasts are too, but the books are most definitely a permanent record. My, my philosophy is that I reserve the right to change my mind about something if I am presented with new information that is better than the old information that I had. So I, I have to give myself that flexibility, not because I'm like wishy-washy on it, but I have to allow for something that I didn't know to come in. Maybe it challenges what I had always thought was was the case. And so if I if I allow myself that and just say, let me take my ego out of this mm-hmm. and put it off to the side and just put the pursuit of what is true as the leading principle in my ego, you know, out of the way, then that's how it should be. That's how I and so if I get something wrong, which I have, and if I get something wrong in the future, which I most definitely will, then I, then at least people will say, well, at least I know he's trying to get it right. Yeah. Well, you where you can't say that for a lot of some people are 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 not necessarily trying to get it right, or they double down when 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 the information is, that they had is wrong. They don't want to look dumb. Nobody wants to look dumb. Mm-hmm. I don't think you look dumb if you change your mind on something like that. In fact, quite the opposite. I think you look more evolved. You look like you're actually trying to get it right. You know, and I talk to a ton of people now about this, content creators, doctors, and we had, you know, I, I thought I understood how the pharmaceutical industry fully worked and 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 how dangerous the procedures could be. And then I have... Dr. Robert Malone on, and I say to him, so like, explain to me how mRNA technology works. Cause I'm not a scientist. I don't know this. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, it's the thing, you know, you, 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 you turn it on. It's like a little, think of it like a little machine and you turn it on and it makes these spike proteins and the spike proteins, you know, go throughout the body. And, um, that's what M- mRNA is. It makes these spike proteins. And I said, okay. What's the problem with it? And he says, well, the problem with it is that once you turn it on, you can never turn it off. And I went, oh, okay. That does sound like a problem. He goes, yeah, and these spike proteins, you know, they sort of, there's two, they kind of clog up and then they, they clot up and then, you know, you die from a heart attack or a stroke or something. And I'm going, and I go, oh, I go, okay. <laughs> Who the fuck hired you in the medical industry to make something that's this defective. And he goes, the military, who else? And I went, oh God, all right, now I understand. Now I get it. Now now it all makes sense. You know, so sometimes you got to talk to people smarter than you. You know what I mean? You got to bring that, you got to bring those guys in. And we've had Peter McCullough and we've had all these, you know, these, these really brilliant people. And they're talking about things that are way above my pay grade. But I, I try to get as much as I can from listening to their conversations, but that one especially just stunned me. I was, I just wasn't expecting that answer. And then I thought afterwards, well, why wasn't I expecting that answer? Of course the military would be behind this, you know, of course this, this is so, so when you, when you hear that and then you go out and you go, I've got all this stuff from the CDC and the SPARS pandemic document and the Deagle report, and I'm putting it together. And then it looks like there's something bad going on. And then I'm going Robert Malone, can't turn it off once you turn. I was like, oh shit, you know. So again, that's part of what 
what leads into this. And, um, and, and I think that all for all of us that are in this sort of industry or, you know, whatever you want to call it, you, you were in that stage where it's like, you, you're, we're starting to realize how little we really know, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, you think, you know, it all. And then you get to the point where you're like, I don't know anything. Like Got now it, I'm yeah. starting to realize I, I'm starting to know just how little I really know. Mm -hmm. And that is terrified but also sort of uh you know encouraging i like i'm i'm interested to know how it all works not not that i'll figure it all out but uh tell me more let's let's talk to the ex experts that that know more about this so i didn't want to study this stuff i didn't want to get into virology but we're all sort of forced to right i mean if we're if we're going to make sense of this we 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 are we have to arm ourselves with the best information we can and so I'm out there trying to trying to find it to the extent that I can. But yeah. that's a process. Yeah. Yeah. It's the uh, Dunning-Kruger effect where basically as soon as you yes. start learning about something, you got a couple months of knowledge and then you think you know it all. And then finally you learn like just a little bit more and you realize, oh, there's just so much out there and I'll probably never know it all, but I can learn more and more and more. For sure. Um, one podcast I listened to yours today, um, I, I can't remember which exact episode it was, but it was kind of funny because you were talking about how um, you feel more aligned with right wingers and as do I, but like you see all this stuff going on with Trump right now. Yeah. And I don't know how exactly to feel about it. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like lame normie stuff, but like, I feel like there's a large section of the population because about half of the U S doesn't vote. I feel yeah. like the apolitical sect of that, probably is like just stop with this trump stuff like we don't care just get him out of here whatever we got to do to stop hearing about this you know, let's go back to 2019 um what those people fail to realize we'll never go back to 2019 but also um you know that this is the game you know this is politics and then the other you know sect of people who are diehard trump supporters are like oh he's so against the system but meanwhile he took all this money from pfizer and you know i i <laughs> I cut a video of him saying, take the vaccine. And it's, it's <laughs> awful. But then, you know, Biden, same deal, took more money from, you know, the big pharma industry. So it's like, this is literally like you're being handed two options that are almost identical. And, you know, I, I don't know what to make of it because you see him getting arrested, but it's like, he just served a different, a different faction, the deep state. He could sit there and rip on the deep state all he wants, but he was part of the swamp, no matter how much he claimed he was fighting it. And now you get to choose between him or Biden in 2024, or maybe DeSantis, who is a ghoul in his own right. Yeah. What flavor of tyranny is your favorite? You know what I mean? That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what it is. It's, you know, I, I I tell you what I what I do like about Trump. It's not much because I because I don't care for his personality. Pre, I'm not even talking about politics. Just you know, The Apprentice, and I'm the best. I'm the greatest. This is a you know, and he's a real estate developer, and I've worked with and for many real estate developers, and they're all scumbags, right? They're all in lawsuits. They're all looking to cut you out of some money or cut corners or value engineer a building to make a little bit more money for them, and now it falls over. Whatever, to defect lawsuits. There's so by default, real estate developers are some of the worst people you'll ever deal with. But there was one part of Trump that I did like, and that was that he made all of the right people insane. He made the yeah. media crazy, and I despise the mainstream media. They need him. 
right? That he's great for ratings. So they're in this real, this, this real uh, screwed up relationship, this real abusive relationship with Trump where it's like, he hits me because he loves me. You know what I mean? Like they, they're, they're getting <laughs> beat up by him verbally on a daily basis, but like their ratings are through the roof, but he, he would make them insane. And he would make a lot of the establishment politicians in Washington, D.C. crazy. Mm -hmm. And I liked that. And, and Newt Gingrich said something. I put this in the Octopus book. It was it was in it, it was right before. It was in that in that phase where. Uh, Trump had won the election, but hadn't started yet. So then there's like a two month window. And Newt Gingrich said something honest for a change, I guess. He said, Trump's going to have a hard time in Washington, D.C. He's not a part of the groups. He's not a part of the secret societies. And I went, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, let's not underestimate that component. So he's, he's, people say, well, Trump's an outsider. Yes and no. I mean, he's, he knows these people, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, you know, they go, you know, they go to, they go to each other's kids' weddings and stuff like that. They're, this is theater. I mean, they probably do despise each other, but for political, social reasons, they, they interlock. So Trump knew all these people. He was a Democrat mm -hmm. forever, admittedly, and said, if you want to win, you got to be a, you got to go run as a Republican because they're stupid enough to vote for me. And you go, oh, okay. So, so he, he was a Democrat for a long, long time. Not that it matters, but that's what he was. And, um, and, and he, he is having a hard, hard time because he's not a part of the secret society. So on the one hand, he's an outsider and he's an insider because he knows all the people. But on the other, other hand, he is an outsider. He is not involved in the United Nations groups. He's not part of the uh, Bilderberg. He's not part of the World Economic Forum. You know, he's outside of those globalist organizations. So, and those organizations are the worst, of course. So, so there is there's a case that can be made that Trump is better than the other guys because he's not a part of that group. And I and I could. I could sign on to to that. But you know when when that group says to you you need to do what we tell you to do or else we blow up the plane that your wife and son are on you do it. And I got I got again I got this John Perkins Confessions of an Economic Hitman book and John Perkins details the two different guys in his uh, world, Jaime Roldos and uh, General Omar Torrijos, the leader of Panama and Ecuador, who both refused to take the silver, so they got the lead in the form of planes that exploded within three months of each other in 1981. These were guys that he worked deeply with. He said to them, "You got to take the deal." They said, "We won't take. I'm not going to take the deal and, and enslave my people." And John Perkins said, you do know who comes next after me, right? The jackals, meaning the CIA. And uh, they said, we know, and we appreciate you for telling us, but we won't do it. I said, okay. And both of those guys blew up in plane crashes. So again, I'm not kind of throwing out the, your family blows up in a plane crash. Flippantly, it literally happens all the time. And so how, how much of an outsider can anybody be? 
in that system. As long as they've got mm-hmm. something of value, as long as there's something of value that you have that they can destroy. So, you know, it's, I think this idea that we're going to vote our way to prosperity or freedom is just insane. I think people don't, I mean, I, I did, I will say this, I voted twice in my life. I voted for Ross Perot in 92, right when I was 19 years old, 20 years old. And, uh, and I voted for Ron Paul. You know, and I knew both of them weren't going to win, but I liked them and I voted for them. So I don't think the system is set up in a way that we can really thrive. I think it's more of it, it is a, a case of voting for the lesser of two evils. And it's like, a, what's the point of that? You know? Yeah. All right. Well, I know you were on a little bit of a uh, time pinch. So um, do you got time for one more question? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh so since we're kind of talking about relatively bleak shit, um, what kind of gives you hope about the future? When I go to, I've been to Anarchapulco three times. And like I said, it's the largest anarchist convention in the world. And that doesn't mean Molotov cocktail throwing and tire burning or anything like that. It doesn't mean no rules. It means no rulers. And when you go to this event in Mexico, I get really inspired. I mean, a lot of very smart people that are doing interesting things. They have come to the conclusion, and I think they're correct in this assessment, that there is no point fixing this system. The system is broken. There's no the people that control it don't want it fixed. It works well for them, but for the rest of us, it's not it's not a system that is that is fixable. They instead have decided to build something outside of the system, to build a different version of it. Whether that means you're transacting in 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 Bitcoin or Monero as opposed to Federal Reserve notes and and uh, wire transfers or PayPal things like that, so these people are looking outside of that. They hate the schooling system. Most of them are American. A lot of them are Americans. But even if you're from the UK or Australia, there's still problems with the schooling system. So they come up with homeschooling systems, unschooling as they call it to teach kids something different. Uh, there, there's a, a ton of people that are moving, geographically moving, getting away from certain countries that they don't feel are in alignment with their values and starting to find groups of people and living near them. So I every time I go, I feel really dumb for one because i'm like god these people are brilliant and 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 i'm so fascinated with what they're doing but i and and then when i leave i i'm bummed because it's like you're leaving this world where everybody is 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 sort of moving towards the the right sort of things and you feel like you have to go back to the real world you know and we did that the the last time and i went this year but the last time I had been before, it was a very stark contrast be- because I I had been there in February 2020, and then you leave, and then three weeks later the world changed, and so it was it was such a big swing where y- you know you you saw this is how it could be, and this is how it is, and this is it. So um, I've stayed in touch with a lot of people from that event. I get I I now have connections all over the world because of that. I've had a lot of them on my show to talk about how they're how they're tackling these problems from a different angle and whether it's growing your own food and homesteading and doing these things and getting yourself less dependent on the state for everything uh, medical or food or education or currency 
all of these things, you know, trying to get build networks of people. So I'm I'm inspired when when you go out there and you meet a lot of a lot of them, you you start to feel like there's hope out there. And and secondarily to that, with regard to uh, why I would feel a little bit optimistic about the where we're going, the people that are in charge of this planet, the the World Economic Forum people, like if you look if you use them as a as a poster child. They're not as smart as we think they are. I'll take all the anarchopulco people all over the World Economic Forum any day. Those people are incompetent. And I don't think they may have a 10 step plan for enslaving humanity, but if they can't make step two happen, then then it, then it doesn't matter. And and we watched this during 2021 when the magic potion came out and they tried to sell it to first they tried to scare everybody into taking it. And when that didn't work, then they went, you know, they 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 tried the carrot method. Let's see if we can incentivize these people. And it was like, do it so you don't kill grandma. You're like, mm, okay. And then it was like, do it because it's the right thing to do. That didn't really work very well. Then it was, do it and we'll give you lottery tickets. And do do it and, and we'll give you Krispy Kreme every day for an <laughs> entire year, or we'll give you laps around Talladega Speedway. You can do two laps around Talladega. Okay, fine. We'll make it four laps around Talladega Speedway. And you and you just start watching this, and you go, I don't think it's going according to plan. Like there, there's no way this is in the in the playbook, right? This has got to be Plan C, if anything. You know, the, the, so so I watched that, and I watched the wheels fall off, and the narratives, and they were contradicting themselves, and I thought. This is good. This is it's frustrating, of course, for sure, to watch this and to be living through it. And it's frustrating, but but I, I was I was optimistic when I said they can't even pull off this this rollout the right way. They have to. I mean, when if they're giving you Krispy Kreme donuts and telling you it's for their health, your health, I think even the dumbest dumbest of dummies are kind of going for my health. Really, donuts? Donuts for my? This is for my health. Wait, this thing is supposed to be for my health. So in order to get me to do it, you're bribing me with donuts and saying it's for my health. This doesn't make any sense. So so the messaging was flawed because the people in charge aren't very bright. So I'm I'm optimistic about that. For for once, stupid people to the rescue. You know, we've got them <laughs> we got them in the media, we've got them in uh in in all over the media, but, but also the people that are running this show, they, they, they overestimate their intelligence back to Dunning Kruger. They overestimate their intelligence on, on how they're going to enslave us. And they're just, just, well, we'll just tell them, we'll just tell them they've got to do it. And it's like, you do realize that there are billions of people that aren't going to do what you tell them to do simply because you're telling them to do it and they're difficult. And that's us. We're difficult. And, and then I was optimistic when I started to see people have this awakening when they, when it started to click and the light bulb went on and in people that I knew personally or people that I interacted with or, or just watched online, you, you would see people go, wait a second. You know, like they would have this epiphany where like, this doesn't seem like it's adding, this isn't what you, I, I kept saying to people, do you think during the black plague, they needed a PR campaign to tell everybody to be safe? Or do you think it was sort of evident on its face when there were bodies stacked up. And since there aren't bodies stacked up, thankfully, why do you think they're telling you to be so scared all of a sudden? You know, why, why do you think they're, they're doing that? Did, like did the black plague have a PR campaign like this? 
a press agent uh, secretary that was selling like, oh, you got to do this. You got to do that. So it just, it all seemed very artificial to me, obviously, because I was, I was sort of predisposed from my, my work on, on the book and everything to, mm -hmm. to, to know that this, this didn't, wasn't going to be real, but, but, but I, I was watching other people come to that conclusion as well. And it was, um, it was, it made me feel like there's hope there's hope and the stats come out, you know, and the stats show that like a third of the people didn't sign up for, for the treatment. They, they simply decided they were going to wait it out or try something else or they just, they, they made, or they're good at statistical analysis and they went, so what is the, the survivability rate is 99.98%. I ask you, have you ever taken a math test, gotten a 99.98% on the math test and asked the teacher for extra credit? <laughs> Yeah, what if the extra credit could give you myocarditis or kill you? Yeah, I don't Probably think not. People you're, are you're good. For that. Yeah, I don't think 99.98. I'll take it, put it in the bank. You know what I mean? And so I watched people sort of have this. Uh, some people never made that, that, that yeah. statistical uh, comparison, they never figured it out. And while others went, no, no, I'm good. Now, if it were 50 50, okay, I could understand. But it was so it's such a high percentage for 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 people that are under 21, for people that are not allowed to drink 20 and under the survivability rate is ninety nine point nine 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 seven percent. I mean, you're 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 more likely to get killed by a ladder falling on you on a Thursday than that. Yeah. Probably a hippo too. I don't know if you ever looked into uh, how many people uh, hippos kill a year, but they kill quite a bit. Oh, oh, I am way more scared of hippos than I am of the <laughs> imaginary of the virus floating around for sure. Yeah. yeah, especially in Africa, they kill a lot of people. Yeah, they're very, very territorial. They're very, very mean. Um, Charlie, this is an awesome conversation, brother. We'll definitely have to do it again sometime. Yes. Uh, go ahead, do your plugs. And we'll get on out of here. Macroaggressions, uh, audio podcast, wherever podcasts are available in video format on Rockfin, band.video, vigilante.tv, and Odyssey. The website is theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. Uh, the books are available on Amazon. You can just type in Charlie Robinson. You'll find them there. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Macroaggression, which is where you and I met. For sure, dude. Yeah. And, um, you know, I enjoy following you and I enjoy all your, I enjoy following you too. Where I, I knew when you, when you reached out, I was like, yeah, we're on the same wavelength here. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Well, uh, you know, we both treat things with a, uh, healthy amount of skepticism as all good, um, sovereign individuals should. So, um, yeah, man, we'll definitely do it again sometime. And if you don't got anything else, we'll, uh, close her out and hopefully everyone, um, enjoyed this as much as I did. Thanks. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for having me on Kyle. Of course, dude. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.